Have you ever asked yourself the question, how does a Christian impact the world for Jesus? What do you say? What do you do? What does that even look like? What does it mean to be an effective witness for Christ? In a world of people who desperately need Jesus, what does God expect of us as his followers? I've been wrestling with those questions throughout my life, as I suspect maybe you have. And, and, and it seemed to me that maybe hearing just a, a little bit about my life might help you answer those questions for yourself. I should introduce myself. I'm, I'm Andrew. And I was born in the town of Bethsaida, on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's, Bethsaida is famous for, well... Not much of anything. It's kind of an obscure place. Sort of like, I don't know, Houghton? There's really not a lot going on there. But I was fortunate to be raised in a devout home. We were taught the Shema. And we went to the synagogue. And we prayed our prayers. And we heard over and over and over again about the Messiah. About the one who would come someday and restore the glory of Israel as in the days of the great King David. And we waited and watched and listened for that day. We weren't really sure as we got older what we were to do with everything we had learned. There was still something in us that, that just wasn't quite connecting the way we wanted it to. And maybe that's what was so appealing to me about John the Baptizer. That's why I went 50 miles to, to the Jordan River to see him and eventually be baptized by him and, and to connect myself with him. There's an interesting guy, John the Baptizer. You know, he is a man of integrity and faith And he loved to to confront the religious leaders. And we all would stand back and go, yes, that is so awesome. Give it to him, John. You know, John was a little different. A little, I don't know, maybe quirky. A little out there, you know. I mean, the the hair, the, the clothes, the locusts and the honey for his diet. It's not exactly mainstream, what a magnetic personality. Man, he, we, he would start teaching, he would start talking, and we couldn't get enough. But really, John's message was, was pretty simple. It was confrontational, but it was pretty simple. He really only talked about two ideas. He kept saying over and over again, people need to repent of their sins. And you ought to be baptized as a response, a sign of your repentance. And he talked about the Messiah. And he kept telling us, he's coming soon. There was a day that changed everything in John's ministry and in our lives. Because a guy showed up one day that John could not be more excited about. 
Unfortunately, I missed it. I wasn't there that day. But the next day, we were listening to John teach and the excitement was still bubbling up in him. And he stopped and he pointed at a guy and he said, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said he came after me, but surpassed me because he was really before me. And we looked at each other and said, how can you walk away from that? And we got up and we started following him. We really didn't want him to know we were following him because if he really was the Messiah, it's pretty intimidating to think you would actually be in the presence of the Messiah. We just kind of wanted to know where he was going, hang out maybe where he lived, and maybe in a week or two, a month, have a conversation with him. So we thought we were being pretty surreptitious in following him, but he stopped and he turned around and he looked at it and he said, what do you want? You ever have those moments when somebody speaks to you, you're not expecting it, and you're so overwhelmed and intimidated, you, you can't get words out. You just sort of stumble over your words. And that's how I was when I looked at this guy. I didn't know what to say. I was just taken back by the fact that this might really be the one that Moses spoke about and David and the prophets. And finally, the only thing I could get out of my mouth was, so Rabbi, where do you live? Thinking, oh, I think back of that now. Surely I could have thought of something better than that. You know, something theological. So are you really the Christ? Where do you live? But you know, Jesus is okay. He's not mind at all. He said, well, come and find out. Us? Really? Yeah, come on. And so he went to his house. And, and we sat at his house all the rest of the day, into the night, listening to him and talking with him and questioning him and learning from him. I mean, he told me things about how I understood myself that I never thought of before. He told us things about God that we had never dreamed of understanding before. Something about the way he talked just made God real. And when we were done, and we walked out of his house, the only thought in my mind was, I got to go find my brother. I've got to go tell him. I wasn't exactly sure how Peter was going to respond. You know, sometimes it's a little hard to, it's hard to talk to people who are closest to us about those deep spiritual things. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about that stuff than to talk to the people who really know us. And I wasn't sure exactly what Peter would say, but I just knew that something in me was already changing. And I loved my brother. And I wanted him to know that change as well. I shouldn't have worried because as I came running down the beach, yelling, we found the Messiah, we found the Messiah. This look on his face was just joy. And I grabbed him and I took him back to Jesus and I introduced them. And we talked some more. It was a couple of weeks later, I think, when... Peter and I were talking again about Jesus. That's about all we talked about from that night on. It was this about Jesus and that about Jesus. And we had been out fishing all night and the whole time talking about Jesus. And now we were sitting on the shore, mending our nets, talking about Jesus. You see, we're, we're fishermen. That, that's what we do. 
That, that's, I mean, my father was a fisherman, my grandfather was a fisherman. And you grow up in a place like Bethsaida, you don't have a lot of choices about what you're going to do. You just do what, you just follow the family business. If your family works with wood, you know, you grow up, you're going to be a carpenter. Your family's part of the Levitical line, you grow up, you're going to work in the synagogue, in the temple. And if your family works with nets and boats and water, you're going to be a fisherman. So we're there, mending our nets, talking about Jesus, doing what we always did. When we heard a voice behind us, and we turned around, it was Jesus. And he said, Andrew, Peter, put down your nets. Come follow me. In that moment, it was both the most difficult and the easiest decision we ever made. It was difficult because... We were leaving on the shore our identity, our family. Everything that that really made us who we are, we left it lying there right on the beach. But it was the easiest thing because it was Jesus, the one. And we actually, we couldn't get up fast enough. And we went and we followed him. And something in us just continued to change. And, and it just felt like all I wanted to do was to keep introducing people to Jesus. I remember, I remember we, were, we were by a, a, sh- a shore of the lake. And it was kind of a desert area. Not much around, but Jesus wanted to stop there. And we, we put the boat up on the shore. And, and Jesus got out and he began to teach And of course, like everywhere we went, people heard about Jesus and they came flocking to him. Everyone who had any kind of disease or illness or sickness, they brought them to Jesus and he healed them and he taught. And and we were enthralled with him. And the people just kept coming and coming and coming. We lost total track of time until we started hearing babies cry and toddlers getting restless and murmuring in the crowd about missing lunch and being hungry for supper. What are we going to do? And what are you going to do for us? And and we're like, we got to get these people out of here. We got nothing to serve them. And we went to Jesus and said, look, you got to send them home. And I didn't expect Jesus to respond positively to that, just knowing that he cared about people and he wouldn't want these men, women, and children walking two, three, four hours home. But I didn't expect him to turn to us and say, well, give them something to eat. What? We got nothing to eat. What do you mean give them something to eat? What could we possibly give them? He said, just give them something to eat. We all got together and we're talking through this. You got anything? No, I got nothing. You got anything? No, I have nothing. And then I remembered. Earlier in the day, I had noticed a little boy sitting by himself. He must have come alone. And, and he just something about him just attracted me. And I went over to him and, and I met him and we talked. And I noticed he had a little lunch with him. And I thought, well, maybe the kid's got a lunch. We've got to gather what we can. So I found him. I said, Daniel, how would you like to meet Jesus? Oh, man, his face lit up. Yeah. I said, okay, do you still have your lunch? He said, yeah. He opened it up, and there were a couple little fish and about five rolls in there. And I said, all right, I'll take you to meet Jesus, but I think he's going to want your lunch. Like, what? Why would Jesus want my lunch? I said, I I don't know, but I I think he's going to want your lunch. Would you be willing to give it to him? 
And he thought about that for a moment. He said, okay. So I took him by the hand and I led him to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, this is Daniel. And Jesus did the most amazing thing. He got down on his knees and he looked right in the eyes of this little boy. I don't know, six, seven years old. And he said, Daniel, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad you're here today. And he gave him a big hug. Daniel didn't say a word. He didn't say anything the whole time. Anything was going on. He just reached down, picked up his lunch and kind of went like this, you know. And I said to Jesus, Daniel has a little lunch and he's willing to give it to you. And for the next two hours, that little boy stood over there and watched Jesus feed this crowd of, I don't know, 8, 10, 12,000 people from his little lunch. I don't know what happened to him as he got older, but I can't help but believe that he grew into a man who continually gave whatever he had to Jesus. Let me tell you one other story. We didn't know it at the time, but it was the last week of Jesus' life, his life on this earth. We knew something strange was up because Jesus had been avoiding Jerusalem for a long time. And out of the blue, he said, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. We tried to talk him out of it. Jerusalem, people in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. We figured, well, if we're going to go, we'll, let's, we'll probably sneak into the city, meet with a couple people in their home, and then sneak back out again. But Jesus had other plans. He gets a donkey and gets on top of it and, and rides into the city as the people line the road shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're putting palm branches down on the road. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they know you're here now. And then he goes into the temple And he sees the money changers there in the court of the Gentiles and he grabs a whip and he starts whipping them and turning over the tables and telling them to get out of there. This is a place for prayer. And we all looked at each other and thought, well, now we've really had it. And of course, by the end of the week, he was on the cross. It was Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday of that week. Jesus was meeting people, healing, teaching. Crowds gathered around as always. And we were, disciples were just sort of trying to keep order. I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and it was Philip, another disciple. He grabbed me by the sleeve and pulled me over and he said, Andrew, I don't know what to do. I said, what? He said, well, there are some people here from Greece. And they're not Jews. They don't really know that much about our faith. But they want to meet Jesus. What do we do? I had discovered as the 12 of us talked. That while there were lots of things we didn't understand. There were some things that each one of us picked up on that the others didn't. There's something that, that Philip understood that I couldn't get. And things that I understood that he didn't. And one of the things that I understood was that Jesus wanted everyone to come to him. 
It didn't matter your race or your nationality or your class in society or even your occupation. Jesus welcomed everyone. And there was no time of the day or night when Jesus would turn someone away. And I said to Philip, I'm pretty sure he'd be willing to see them. And we led them to Jesus and I introduced them. And out of that conversation led to Jesus talking about his impending death and resurrection and the kingdom. I've been thinking a lot about my life. And especially in comparison to my brother Peter. We're we're very different. Peter's boisterous and loud and I'm quiet and reserved. Peter's impetuous. He'll do anything on the spur of the moment. He'll say anything that comes to his mind. I'm a planner. I, I, don't, I only speak when I feel like I've, I've understood what I want to say. And Peter's the, the life of the party. He's the face of the party. I mean, he's the one. People just want to be around him. And I tend to be in the background. Just sort of supporting things. We're so different. And our lives have taken different turns as followers of Jesus. And sometimes that's bothered me. I wonder, am I making any difference? Because I realize I'm, I'm never going to write a life of Christ like John, Matthew. I'm not going to preach to... Thousands of people like my brother. I'm probably not going to be a leader of the church like Paul. All I really know how to do is introduce people to Jesus. And it took me a while to understand that that's okay. And in fact, I am coming to see that there are very few people who do what Peter and Paul and John and Matthew do. And a lot of people who do what I do. And what I, when I introduce people to Jesus, it's about relationships. It's about being with people and listening to people and caring for people and, and loving people. What I really want is, is just to be, I don't know, kind of, kind of a bridge to people. I love the pictures that are on the wall, and you might not be able to see them real well there, but these pictures of bridges. That's what I want to be, that someone who takes people who are not connected and connects them like a bridge. And what I'm discovering is that that my calling is not so much to bridge from people to Jesus as it is from Jesus to people. Because for people who really don't know a lot about Jesus, they don't really understand you need to trust Jesus. What they need to know is that Jesus can be trusted. They need to know what Jesus is really like. That he's good and loving. That he is gracious and generous to a fault. That he's the way and the truth and the life. And I just simply want to be the person 
who helps them know a little bit about that. And it's not that that I become friends with people so that I can introduce them to Jesus. But it's because I love people and and these people are important to me and I build relationship with them and, and I want them to have what I have. I want them to know life in a way that I know it. Because I'm pretty sure, like me, they had this yearning in their soul and, and they didn't have an answer for that. And I want to tell them, I've got an answer for you. And it's not me, it's Jesus. Let me tell you what he's like. Let me tell you about him. Let me show you who Jesus is. I have a feeling that very few people are going to remember me. That's okay. But if you do think about me, I'd like for you to, to remember that Andrew was a disciple who loved to introduce people to Jesus. Who was, lived his life to be a bridge so that people would know who Jesus really is and what Jesus really wants to do in their life. That's what I want my life to be. What do you want your life to be? Maybe it would be good to take a few moments to ponder that.